Anyhow, welcome to Zoe Church, everyone. My name is Ruben, and I am so glad to be with you here today. If it's your first time visiting, welcome. Welcome, guys. Can we give a cheer to anyone who's here for the first time, maybe online? Welcome to Zoe Church. We here just love to worship Jesus, to get to know each other, to grow together as a community. We believe we're empowered together on mission, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit that we are working together uh, uh, for God's greater mission. And that's really our calling, our goal in life, to here, to be able to like reach Mississauga, to help each other grow as a church, but also to reach the community here. And we've been in a series called Faith Phenambulist, and we are at the end of this conversation. What we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, how many of y'all have been here almost all weeks? How many of y'all have been here all the weeks? Daniel's like, yep. <laughs> yes, 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 man. It has been it has been a transformative series for me. So I'm just I'm excited to 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 finish this series in part five, which is today. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And while you get there, I'm just gonna set the groundwork a little bit. Over the last few weeks, what we've been doing is We've been talking about what it's like living as believers in our culture today. We've been talking about how, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, how there are so many obstacles that we face. How it's much different than if you are another religion or another thought process or way of life, that there's something about Christianity that we just get bad reputation. In fact, we look at our, our country today. What used to be thought or believed or called a Christian nation, in my opinion, is no longer a Christian nation. But rather is one that's run by people. I mean, regardless of what party you stand for or what, where, what you're affiliated, it doesn't matter to me. What, what, what I'm really talking about is regardless, the bottom line is that we've all gotten to this place where our country is ran by people with their own agendas. And God is a long lost thought. And in the series we've been discovering, in the midst of the struggles that we face from culture and the world and laws and people and people within the church, we've been discovering how Jesus' ways are so different than the world's ways. We've been learning how Jesus and the way he responds and calls us to live is so different how we're called to live by, by faith and follow Jesus in the midst of the storms, in the midst of things that just don't seem to make so much sense. How to live with honor. Remember, honor everyone, Peter, as we, as we went through the passage that Peter talked about. You know, this is the will of God that you do good, that your good would actually be the things that open, you know, other people's eyes. And this is what he describes it as, to honor everyone, meaning even when they don't honor you. Loving the brotherhood, loving the church, even when you don't feel that loved. Honoring the government, even when you feel sometimes forgotten. And then fearing God and how that was so relevant as well, learning to revere God, to have this attitude and this posture of God, I, I, I want to serve you. I mean, it is so countercultural, so radical, and yet we've been walking and learning what it's like to be a Jesus follower in our culture. Today, and I want to finish today off with a crucial passage that I believe will help us do two things. One, understand our culture a little bit better, 
which is crucial. That's part of the battle. You've got to understand the culture that you're living in to be able to maneuver it well. And then the second part is that we'll actually see God's instruction, God's response in how we ought to live in our culture. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it's going to be up on the screen. If you do have a Bible and you're opening up for the first time, that's awesome. Go ahead and you can go to the contents and just find the, the, the short letter T-I-M or if it's Timothy, great. And go to the number 2 Timothy, 2 before the Tim. That's what we call like first, second, third, and then the book. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, chapters are big numbers usually. So chapter 3 and then verse 1, the verses are the smaller numbers. So go ahead, jump in right there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, because what we're going to see, and, and I know some of you have opened it up. Help me out here for a second. Anybody see a title right above this passage? Anybody see a title in the, in the chat? Anybody see a title? What is this? Somebody call it out. What, what's, what's it in your, in your version of the Bible? What do they call it? Godlessness in the last days. Anybody got something else different? No? Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what I have too. Godlessness in the last days. And that's what we're going to be talking about. You see, Paul writes this letter to his protege, Timothy. He writes, Paul is an apostle, he's a leader in the church, he's one who's writing letters, who's speaking, who is uh, leading the charge and understanding God in this deeper way. And he's writing his letter to his protege, Timothy, who, who Timothy has been this guy who's kind of like Paul's right-hand man who's been helping him in different things and kind of replacing him in places where Paul kind of says, hey, you now take over, and he walks away, a great picture of discipleship as well. And so he's writing to Timothy, and obviously he doesn't write this title in, but this title describes what Paul writes in this passage, in this letter that's written. And we know that God's word is so powerful that something that Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago, that even till today it's powerful, it's the same because it, it impacts us and, is, and applies to us in such a powerful way. 2,000 years later, it's so crazy because it's gonna give you a glimpse into your present and I think that's amazing that scripture can do that. So that's what we're going to jump in today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 is what it says. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. You know, I don't know about you and what you've been doing and, 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 and how you've been doing life of, of, of late, but we, we are in the last days. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of that. Maybe coronavirus has brought your mindset just a little bit more tuned to that reality. But you're like, man, this doesn't look that good. Yet here's the thing. We have been in the last days. Since Jesus died and rose again, we have been in the last days. Paul knew that. That's what he was writing about. Where Jesus talks about the last days, he describes it. And over the last 2,000 years, we know that it has been growing and growing and getting only worse from oppression to more diseases and viruses growing in our land, from more wars and rumors of wars, from the world being more divided and polarized than ever before. We are in the last days. Don't make any mistake about that. And then what he's saying is, hey, Timothy, and same to us, the church. Those days are going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. They're not going to be easy. Especially for us today, I think we can relate. Whereas Christians, part of the difficulty is, well, people try to, you know, explain away God. Ah, oh, no, no, no. There was no God in the beginning. 
You're just from some soup, bro. Or they take away our freedom of religion and say, you know what? You can't believe what you believe because it disagrees with what I believe. And they compartmentalize, they put you into this box and say, you can't believe what you want to believe. Or they do, or they say it like subliminally, you know what I'm talking about, where they legally make it illegal or they socially make it awkward where you not, now you can't be a Christian because everybody's going to judge you like that. Even though they won't call it that, they just call you the judge. It is not easy. It is not easy being a follower of Jesus today. It has become only more difficult because we are in the last days. And then what Paul does is he describes what the people of the world are like in the last days. And he takes the next couple of verses just to describe that. And rather than us focusing on those people and the world and what they're like, what I want to do is, and as I was reading this, this is what really God like illumined to my mind. It's the idea that these are the descriptions of the world that in fact we are most tempted to be like. These are the temptations and the tendencies of our heart because we see everybody else around us being like this. And what I want to do is as we read the next passage, I, I, I want you to see it through this lens that these are the things that I'm most tempted to fall into, that I'm most tempted to, in fact, exchange what God is calling me to be and be more like the world. In fact, we should treat these next descriptions as markers for us to continually be self-aware of our hearts and where we are in life so that we know, you know what, am I walking with Jesus hand in hand or am I off doing what I see everybody else around me doing. And so this is how he describes it. Verse two, for people, in the last days, for people will be lovers of self. I'm gonna pause there for a second. Because as I was reading this and I read the rest of it, it's almost like this is like a subtitle, I find. It's kind of like this, the lovers of self is like the subtitle to what he's about to describe. That the world in the last days, the way they will live is they will be so full of themselves, so excited about themselves, so in love with themselves that they can't let anything go when it comes to their life or another. It's always them first, it's always me first, and it's always God second. Can you guys relate? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And then he describes what this love for self looks like. So maybe you identify with what some of the stuff that Paul says. Again, this is 2,000 years ago. I read that list, I'm like, how much changed since that? That's just, that sounds like a list for today. So what he says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And that's a hard list to read, ain't it? You get the picture, don't you? That, that the picture that he's paint is that the, the world is the self first, full of themselves, proud about it, building themselves up at the cost of others, type of mindset, type of lifestyle. Living life on pleasures and feelings. In fact, he, he, he even says about this other group where there's this group that in fact seem godly, 
seem like they're good and they're holy and they're doing good things and they got the, the, the you know, the right appearance. And, and yet, look at Paul's comments. He says, but they deny the power. But they deny its power. They claim to follow God, but there's no power behind what they are saying. And then he accumulates all of that to this last three words, avoid such people. And you know, we get this right sometimes, but we get this wrong a lot of times. Because we think when he says avoid such people, our mindset goes to, well, I'm holy, and I'm a Christian, and you're not, so I'm going to stay over here. Don't come near. Like, like, like we, like we want to make this like split, like we're... Like, we're, we can't be touched by, the, by, the, by those who are sinful, and yet, you know, sometimes you realize, don't recognize that we are sinful as well. In fact, what he's saying here when he says avoid such people is not just stay away from them. What he's really getting at in the context of what he's saying is, is, is more like this. It's more saying don't let these people influence you. Don't let their ways infiltrate you. In fact, if you had to add a little bit more to describe what he's talking about, taking all the different letters that Paul has written about and the mindset that Paul had because Paul hung out with people who did not believe in Jesus, what he would really be talking about is don't be influenced by them, but instead influence them. We're not supposed to live in a bubble. Sometimes... We do that, don't we? Where we only can have certain types of friends. And so we put ourselves and isolate ourselves in this kind of bubble. And, and yet, who are we reaching? Who are we evangelizing to? Who are we connecting with that are not followers of Jesus? If that was the case, how would anybody ever get one? Like, I'm sure... Somebody will watch a video on YouTube, and they'll be like, I'm really curious. So they're going to come attend a church that they're really interested in. But then if we're still in that bubble, we're like, man, you look different. You talk different. You know, sidestep. I don't want to be your friend. And there's a disconnect. We're not supposed to live in a bubble. But instead, we're supposed to influence these people. Now, let me also clarify. What this also means is this that if you have been hanging around with non-Christian friends and you start to realize, you start to recognize, man, they're, they're influencing me. Their ways, their lifestyle, their habits, man, they, when they get drunk, yeah, you know, and I'm with them, and then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Or when they're smoking stuff up or when they're doing certain things that you're like, oh, that's shady, I don't know about that. Don't make, like, 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 like don't get to the place where you're like, you know what? I'm doing Jesus a favor by still being here. No, 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 no. It's not going to work like that. Jesus' heart is not that you continue to live in sin to say, I'm going to reach them. That's not at all God's heart. If, you, if they start to influence you, yes, then avoid. Then avoid such people. Absolutely. Walk away. Make that space. Say, listen, I can't because it leads my heart to sin. It leads my heart away from Jesus. And you won't even recognize it sometimes because it's like an inch. And it's a little bit of an inch. And you're like, oh, I'm so close enough. That's still an inch. I'm so close enough. And then all of a sudden you realize you're far. And you're like, I can't even approach God anymore. And it might be because of these influences. Then absolutely avoid such people. But not for their sake, but for your sake. Because of your weakness. It's not something that we're going to knock you off. It's just this is the area that you're in. This is the level of your faith. This is where you're at. 
And that's okay. You grow. You get stronger. You grow in faith. And then maybe at some point, you'll be strong enough to go into a place like that and to be the influencer amongst your friends and not the one who's getting carried away and being influenced in their ways and their lifestyle. So don't get that mistaken. Because Paul then addresses this weakness. In the next two verses, because he was, they were facing the same thing too. So he addresses this weakness. In verse 6, he says this, for, for among them are those who creep into households, among the worldly people, among the people who live that, like this world, are among those who are Christians. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive to a knowledge of the truth. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying there are those individuals who will in fact make their way, make their way into your lives and will, if given a chance, capture you and seduce you if you are weak in knowledge of God and weak in faith of God, in God. And this will lead to a feeling of, in our language, this is the best way I could put it, ever said this? Ah, oh, even though I am trying so hard to get closer to God, why do I still feel so far away? I'm trying so hard, God, I'm doing all my things, God, I'm putting my life in order, God, but why do I still feel so far away? That's what that last line translates to today, I think. It could be this that's going on. Where there's something, there's a situation, maybe there's even a person, I don't know, in your life that has been slowly moving you away and away and away from God and you haven't even noticed it. Also, I need to note this. In this passage, Paul is not calling women weak. He, in fact, is calling out to the culture See, the culture in a male-dominated culture basically said, you know, women don't need to do anything else except for stay at home and do, you know, just house stuff. And so at that, during that time and age, women really didn't have much of an opportunity to study, to learn. They weren't given one. And then the few that were able to be educated, for the most part, some of them were like, why do I need to be educated? I don't, I'm never going to get those jobs and do those things that men do. They're never going to give us those opportunities. So... Women, for the most part, weren't educated. And what happened was there were these individuals who were using Gnosticism, which is this, this I'm going to use great knowledge and fancy words. You ever had someone come to the conversation and they're like double PhDs with fancy words? They're like, what are you talking about? Like, like grade five level there, bro. Like, like, it's like that. And they go in and they use fancy words and then all of a sudden they are captured in with this great knowledgeable thought process. And what Paul is doing, he's using this picture that they all understand in their culture, and he's saying, y'all, if you're all are weak in your faith, if you're all are weak in your knowledge of God, that's what's going to happen to you. That's what Satan's going to do to you. That's what the world will do to you. They will capture you, they will seduce you, they will creep into your home, and they will leave you wondering what just happened. So that's what he's really doing. He's painting a picture for all of us. And so you see the larger picture. In case you got lost somewhere in the middle, let me just quickly give you a big glance before I kind of, you know, transition to the next piece. What's really being said here is that this selfish way of living will lead to the world and the people of the world living the way they do, having nothing and wanting nothing to do with Jesus. And their ways have nothing to do with Jesus. And Paul says, avoid such people, avoid these things, avoid this lifestyle. 
Because if you give these people a chance, if you let your guard down, you won't even recognize it. But it will creep into your life and start influencing you to be like them. And that will be the beginning of your downfall. So after Paul says all of this, God, speaking through Paul as he writes this, gives instruction as to, well, then how do we combat this? How do we respond to this? How do we, how do, we do this well and, and, and somehow live in the tension and, and balance the, we have to live around the people of the world who live like this, you know, with the kinds of music and the kinds of you know, entertainment stuff that they put on, the kinds of people that we have to work with. And then on the other side, not let, us, not let it affect us, in fact, try to be the influencer and reach out if we possibly can. Verse 10, this is where it jumps in, and this is my first point. Verse 10, he says, you, however, remember, he's talking to Timothy, right? He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then jump two verses later, and he says, continue in what you have learned. Point number one, who do you look up to? Who do you, like, it's a rhetorical question, so just think about it, but who do you look up to? Do you have someone in your mind that you're like, I look up to that person. I trust that person. I'm following in that person's footsteps. I admire that person's faith. I, in fact, I love to have deeper conversations with that person, and I do have deeper conversations about life and God and faith and how to maneuver all of these things. Do you have someone whose life you observe, not just from the outside, but also you kind of have an insider's point of view where you're able to talk things out? Whereas Paul draws this list of, uh, to Timothy, do you have someone who's, who's uh, put that verse back up, whose aim of life that you can observe, whose conduct you can observe, whose faith you can observe, whose patience you can observe, whose way of life you can observe? The truth is, not many Christians have this. Not many Christians have a person in their life that they're like, I can look up to. And I'm not just talking about somebody like a like tele-evangelist or some you know, teacher, like, like an online preacher. I'm talking about someone who you have a relationship with, who you can talk to, who you can connect to, who you can go and speak to. It's a huge mistake not having someone like this in our life. Because see, part of discipleship is learning to have someone who's just a few steps ahead of us who we can go and say, listen, I'm trying to figure out life. I, uh, you and I are both followers of Jesus. You're a few steps ahead of me. Can I, can I follow you? Can I, can I learn from you? Can you teach me? I know you're not perfect. I know you don't got everything together, but, but in the few things that you've learned, can I, can I come under your umbrella and just learn and grow? The way Paul was reminding Timothy to remember. Which is why at Zoe Church, to help you with this, to help you along the way, to help you uh, grow deeper in discipleship, to have someone who, you know, you can in fact go and invite and say, listen, I want you to mentor me, I want you to coach me, I want you to disciple me. What we're doing at Zoe Church is we are starting a brand new discipleship 
model to help us do this as a church. And we're calling this D3s, which is something that's going to help us model this well. I've created this whole D3 idea uh, and modeled it after Jesus, basically. That's, you know, a good example to model it after, I, I, I figure, right? Um, it's after Jesus' own model, where if you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see it, and you observe Jesus' life, you're going to notice that Jesus kind of has these, like, clutter of disciples who he disciples. And they have different, you know, kind of settings, different relationships, and different things that he talks about. But Jesus has these three, the three closest disciples, whom who he was a lot more open with, whom he was a lot closer to, who, whom he was a lot more intimate and dependent on. <clears throat> Does anybody know who those three are? Is there any chance? Brian Pongs? Anybody? <laughs> yes. Peter, James, and John. I'm like, I'm just going to answer this. Peter, James, and John. Uh, yes, those are the three. Peter, James, and John, the brothers and Peter. And so that's the idea. D3s are going to work in the same way, in that there will be one person who will be the person discipling the other three. There'll be one person who's just a little bit further along, not perfect, but a little bit further along, who's learned a few more things, who's experienced a few more things, who's going to fall under my leadership as I oversee them, I bless them, I encourage them, I you know, pour into them. And they then will take the three that they have and then over a period of time just be pouring into me up. And, and grow, and then eventually those three will be, you know, when they're at, a, at the right time, ready to go and disciple other people, they will start their own D3s, and they'll be their own discipleship leaders, where they'll have three others who are, are discipled by them, who are going to grow in faith. And here's the thing, the goal of D3s, I want you to get this, because this is super important, the goal of D3s is intentional discipleship is to create a place of intentional discipleship so that every single one of us will have a space that we can say, this is where I'm growing intentionally as a disciple. This is where I'm taking steps further. It's not just, like, like, sure, you can have moments where it's like, I'm just here to pray together. You can have moments where it's just like, I, I'm having a really bad week, you know, walk me through this. But the goal, the focus, the direction is we are going to be walking together intentionally as we follow Jesus, as disciples. My hope and my goal is that we all will be able to have someone that's, that, that we're able to say, so-and-so is the person that I follow. As they follow Jesus, and yes, I follow Jesus too, but discipleship is the idea that there is someone who I can also tangibly see as they follow Jesus in real life, in everyday situations and circumstances. And so, d 3 is a great opportunity where you can be like, so-and-so really models Jesus well for me. I'm able to learn from them. I'm able to ask them the deepest questions. They're always available, ready there whenever I need it. And we're able to grow as a group. And we even grow closer with a closer bond. And so... Make sure to text me, message me, let me know, even if you're online and, and, and you're interested in this, let me know if you're like, I would love to lead a D3. Talk to me. Not, you know, not everybody's going to be able to lead one because you have to be in a certain place and we can talk, we can have that conversation and figure it out. But if you're like, I would love, I have a passion, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that if I'm in the right place. Reach out, talk to me, let's, let's figure that 
out. And if you're like, Pastor Ruben, I want someone uh, to disciple me. I want someone who will walk with me. Who, who I, I want to be a part of an intentional discipleship group. Absolutely. I'm so for that. Reach out. Talk to me. And um, yeah, we'll definitely try and plug you into one of the D3 groups what they're going to be, how they're going to meet. I'm not going to micromanage that. Each group is going to be a little bit different. There might be one D3 group that's like, during coronavirus, we're going to do phone calls or we're going to do FaceTime calls in the season. Maybe there's another one that's like, you know what? We're a lot closer. We're a lot smaller. And we, we, you know, we, we, we connect with each other on a different level. We're just going to meet together. That's also fine. The goal in the end, I'm going to you know, connect with all the leaders of the D3s and the goal is going to be, I'm going to be pouring into them and envisioning them and making sure they're walking with Jesus so that they're, you know, filled and able to also pour out in to others. That's what D3s is. But remember, who are you looking up to? Point one. Point number two. Pull up verse 12 for me. Indeed, all who desire, this is Paul continuing his conversation. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What Paul does in this next session, which is point, uh, in this next section, which is point number two, he defines reality. Here's question number two. And here's my point number two. What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? In other words, what's your expectations from life? You know, there are these group of Christian circles who preach that, you know what, bad things should never happen, will never happen to believers. They won't, you know, they ever face pain or persecution. God's sole goal is all about you and how you feel, which is totally wrong. But what this does, with a lot of preaching that's been out there, what this does is it leads us as believers and leads many people to in fact be misled. And instead, a foundational piece of understanding who God really is, something so crucial. They say this in like relationships, where if you come in with bad expectations, you're gonna be left, what, disappointed, right? This is where self-absorbed, feel good, make me feel better by telling me what I want to hear preaching, leads people to weak and fragile faith leads people to a seeds among the rock type of faith where you are a seed among rocks and you, you know, you're excited about the faith. You, you know, you grow really fast, but because you're, you're the, the soil that you're planted in is so shallow, the moment the sun beats down on you as a tree, it's like persecution. It's like pain. It's scorching down. The moment you feel the pressure, the oppression, the pushback, something you don't like, it makes you feel uncomfortable, you run, you hide, you doubt, you question, and you do that enough. You keep doing that enough. That leads to people walking away from God. Church, as your pastor, listen, listen to me, okay? Know and study the kind of preachers you listen to, the kind of preachers that you allow to speak into your life. It's better to learn things uh, the first time well than to have to relearn everything over and over again because you've been distracted or deviated or somebody said something and you trusted it in one time, but now you're like, man, what is going 
on. Instead, hear Paul's own words. This is Paul's words in the Greek. This is not altered. This is literally what it's saying. He says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. There's no getting around that. All who want to live for Jesus, who want to live a godly life, a God-honoring, a God-reflecting, a God-resembling type of life will be persecuted. If you want to live for Jesus, you're going to face some pressure. You're going to face some trials. You're going to have to go through them. It's not going to be easy. In fact, Jesus himself says this, right? When he's describing the kingdom of heaven and those who can get into it, remember what he says? He says, narrow is the, what? Narrow is the gate, right? To life. But he says, wide is the gate to hell. Wide is the gate to destruction, but narrow is the gate to life. The, the idea of narrow, if you've ever been to Venice, it's the great example of this. Venice streets are so tight, bro. Like, they're like, like between building to building, it's like that much. Like, I can't even fit. I'm like, I'd go to, you know, the one alleyway. I'm like, yo, how, how people, why would you put an alley here? Just Put the buildings together. I don't understand it. But anyhow, it's good. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just type up narrow alleyways in Venice. I'm sure you'll find it. But like, this is the idea of when you're trying to get through a narrow spot, you're going to face pushback. It's not going to be easy. You're going to face some traction, some, some oppression. It's not going to be easy. The idea is it's not going to be easy. But wide is the idea of ain't nothing going to stop you. Ain't nothing going to stop you. It's going to be pretty pretty easy. And I know, I know for some of you this can be super hard to understand, super hard to follow and believe, but we have to set our expectations right. We have to, because if we don't, if our expectations are skewed, it's going to lead to heartbreak. It's going to lead to disappointment. It's going to lead to us feeling more lost than before. I mean, put it into perspective if that helps. How God has saved us from eternal death. He has given you eternal life. And the, like our mindset should be nothing that, God, nothing, nothing that happens to me now, nothing that happens to me now is going to affect what God has already prepared for me in the end. That my eternity is in his hands. That he is faithful till the end. And that I can trust in that. That is the hope. That is the promise that no matter what goes on here, I'm not focused about the 70, 80. I'm focused about the eternity with him forever. Yes, you'll have ups and downs. But guess what? It's because the world's not for you. And the world's not going to be for you. The world wasn't for your King Jesus. The world persecuted and the world killed him. How much more do you think they're going to care about you? I don't think much. The expectation that I have found that helps me, the expectation that I have found that, that helps us move forward is this, it's having this mindset, believing this, that God, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is where you are. My kingdom is where God is. And right now, I can't be with my God. I can't be there right now because I'm here right here. But as long as I'm here, God, I'm going to do whatever I can for you because I long to be with you. I long to be in your presence. That's my greatest desire over all the other desires. That's the one. And so because I so desire that, I'm, I'm going to try my best and do whatever I can here right now. I mean, think of it like this. Imagine my wife's a professor across the world. 
doing some, you know, professory type things. I don't know what they do, but they, some professory type things. Maybe she is preaching at a conference or something. And I'm here in Canada. I'm like, babe, I miss you. FaceTime, all that. It doesn't feel the same, right? Imagine that's like prayer. It doesn't feel the same. It's like, yes, but, uh, but you know. What would I do to show her that I love her? Whatever I can do while I'm here. I will do whatever I can do while I'm here in Toronto, even as she is across the world, so that later on she will see, oh, you loved me. Oh, you did stuff for me. You love me. I see your love. I'll go and fold the laundry, and I'll go and I'll mop the floors, and, and I'll make sure that there's flowers at home ready for her when she comes home. She'll know you love me. You prepared for me. Church. That's how we should be approaching God. If we long for him so deeply that even as we live here, it's like, God, I want to be with you. I love these people, man, I love y'all. But I want to be with you way more. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to, to, to love you so that you know that I'm thinking of you. You know that I'm in love with you. You know that I, my greatest desire is to be with. And then Paul finishes this final thought. I know we're going over time, but final thought. I don't want to skip this part. He says, verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. He talks about how Timothy has grown up and he's learned different things, specifically scripture and how he's learned the ways of scripture. Jump to verse 16. Then he describes what scripture is. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Point number three is this. What's your time with God been like? What's your time with God been like? Is God's word working within you? Is it working within you? If you can't point within this last week to how God's word, how his spoken word, how he is speaking to your life, if you can't point to it convicting you, teaching you, correcting you, and training you up, you are missing out on what God is saying. You are missing out on on what God is saying. Three points. Who do you look up to? What are you looking forward to? And what's your time with God been like? Or is God's word working within you? Three things that I want you guys to focus on, I want to focus on this week, is looking up to, looking forward to, looking within. Looking up to, do I have something that I'm shadowing, that, that, I'm, that I'm walking with, that, that has an opportunity to speak into my life, to keep me accountable, that I'm actually vulnerable with? Looking forward? Am I setting the right expectations of life, of God, of myself? Or has the world kind of swayed me on that? Do I need to readjust? And number three, what's your time with God been like? Is God's word, God's breath, God's spoken word, is it transforming you from the inside? Or has reading scripture become just this routine of a thing? Well, you read it, you go past your land, get on. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that. 
Because God's word is not meant to be read like some sort of religious-like duty that I'm done with. It's meant to literally transform your soul. Sometimes just reading one verse, letting it sink in is way more profound and more godly than reading the entire book and being like, all right, I'm done. I don't remember anything, though. Is God's word working within you? If you want to persevere, church, you want to run the race of life well, you have to constantly be asking these three questions in your discipleship. Who am I looking to? What am I looking forward to? And is God's word working within 